When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, August 31st, just two days out from the Hokies season opener in Norfolk. On today's episode, we'll talk news from the program, depth chart notes, and of course, get you set for all things ODU. That, all that and much more coming up on the Tech Sideline Podcast. We welcome you in, whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any of our football podcasts throughout the season. want to let you know that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks. First Bank and Trust is a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee with additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's introduce the crew for today. David Cunningham, Managing Editor of TechSideline.com across the way. To my right, Lead Analyst and Columnist for TechSideline, Chris Coleman. In his fourth chair debut, it's Jake Lyman, who is out of focus. We don't know why. <laughs> Don't worry, folks, he'll be back on set on Monday when we recap it all. Behind the scenes in a producing role, it's everyone's favorite TSL founder, Will Stewart, and I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. We made it, guys. The first football preview show of the season, week zero, is in the rear view, and week one is on deck. Did either of you get a chance to watch some of those less-than-meaningful matchups this past weekend? I was actually watching baseball. Oh, no. I was keeping up with the UNC game. Yeah. On my phone. Though. Which was closer I, I, I than watched, some would expect. I, yeah. I watched a little bit of that uh, that wild Northwestern Nebraska game, it was which on, was in Dublin, was, Ireland. It was on yes. TV when I was at the gym, so I saw a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, I kind of kept up with that. I don't know. I, I went and visited some friends in Richmond over the weekend, so I, I kind of just... At this point, you kind of know how a Nebraska game is going to end. <laughs> yeah, Nebraska's leading halfway through and then, and then loses. Yeah, so... Well, it's definitely exciting to have football back. It kind of works out nicely that the Hokies play on Friday, and we have a full day on Saturday to watch that full week one slate. But speaking of Friday, the Hokies will have some precious cargo coming with them. The lunch pail is back, and it'll be in the hands of Chamari Connor. Yeah, um, I'm not surprised by that. I'm actually uh, – I guess they want to time their announcements and everything, but I expect that's a decision that they made quite a while ago. Yeah. They wanted to announce it game week, build a little more momentum and excitement and everything like that. Yeah, well, we asked uh, – Teal, David Teal asked Pry yes, uh, Brent Pry yesterday in his press conference and said, was it always – did you always plan to bring the lunch pail back? And he said, oh, yeah, no question. Like, like I, I knew as soon as I got the job I was bringing the lunch pail back. So – you know, my guess is they were, like you said, they were kind of just timing it up. Between that and um, last week on, on Tech Talk Live, probably said they're bringing back uh, or they're going to continue to do the the number 25 special mm -hmm. teams player of the week. So that's going to be cool, too. Right. Brent Price certainly paying tribute to the coaches that he coached with in the 90s. 
doing everything right. I'm sure at some point tomorrow we'll find out who gets that 25 honor. But most of the podcast will be spent on ODU, but a depth chart was released yesterday, giving us a good gauge on kind of where everything stands after fall camp. I want to hand it over to you guys first. There were certainly a lot of surprises, but what stood out immediately at first glance? Uh, I think to me, the fact that C.J. McRae wasn't on there because he's injured. Um and they're not necessarily ruling him out this weekend, right? But, yeah. uh, but he has he's, been banged he's, up. They, they said they ruled him as touch and go. Touch and go. And basically said, Bryce, Bryce said he's hopeful that, that's that he's going to travel. That's a step ahead of week to week, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Malachi Thomas is not going not gonna to play. But, yeah, I think outside of C.J. McCray, which I was kind of surprised about, and he and Kelly Lawson – who was unavailable last week, those guys were both practicing. They both had like a sleeve or a brace yeah. on their left or right leg yesterday. So they were practicing, but but they weren't, you know, I, I don't know, and I wouldn't expect them to play a ton this week. Um, yeah. But but the other one that stood out was William uh, Kakavitsis. I'm glad um, you – I was going to bring that up, but I was no, wasn't going to take the say risk of saying his name. name. Yeah, <laughs> walk-on wide receiver who, um, if you remember, back, go back to a couple seasons ago – Fuente had him out catch a, a punt or two, you know, here or there when when Tech mm-hmm. couldn't figure out how to catch punts, yeah. um, and and he's kind of stuck around the program. He had a little bit of an injury um, at the end of last season and going into the spring. So Brent Price said he couldn't get a real good feel on him, um, but he's a walk on wide receiver. And I asked Dorian Strong at media day just an open ended question, you know, what wide receivers have stood out to you? And he said, "Man, I think." William Kakavisis has the best hands on this team. And I was very surprised. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll kind of put that in my back pocket for later. And, uh, you know, and then uh, Fontel Mines last week said that, you know, he could totally see him playing a role. And then uh, and then depth chart comes out yesterday, and, and Kakavisis is the number two punt returner and uh, is listed as two spots as the backup wide receiver. So I, I assume he might play a little bit. No coach mentioned him until last week yeah, at all. Um, which is why it came kind of came out of left field to a certain extent. Um, I, I sort of maybe expected him to be in the three deep, but not the two deep. Yeah, I expected him to travel, um, but I didn't expect him to be on that initial two deep. But you know, this is not this is now two coaching staffs that have been impressed with him. So uh, there's must for sure something there. So uh, that's a good story. I, I guess the other thing I would point out is Devin Farrell is the number three quarterback. Um, ahead of Taj Bullock. I don't think it's too surprising. Like Bullock's a year older, but you've got to understand Bullock's background. His first two years of high school, he backed up uh, another college quarterback, a guy who went on to sign with Navy. So he didn't break into the starting lineup until he was a junior. And then COVID hit and kept him from you know, practicing in the offseason and developing. And then I think they only played a six or seven game season his senior year so he only started 18 games at the high school level and meanwhile Farrell was a three-year starter in Georgia uh they didn't have nearly as many off-season development hiccups uh, down there and then they played a full senior season so he just has a lot more snaps under his belt a lot more experience even though he's a year younger so I can't say I'm too uh surprised by that and I don't think uh Pry is put off by his lack of size either because when uh Pry was at Penn State. Obviously, they had a really good... Trace McSorley? Yeah, McSorley and, and Farrell were pretty much the exact same size. Yeah. McSorley's in the NFL right yeah. now. Uh, so I, I, I think Farrell is ahead of where most people would have expected him to be at this point. Yeah, the, the one other thing I would point out from the depth chart, um, 
I noticed immediately with with no CJ McCray that Jordan McDonald and Kyrie Moiston and, and Keyshawn Burgos, mm-hmm. two true freshmen and redshirt freshmen are all in that two deep. And it kind of just goes to show you how they those guys are developing. And the other McDonald twin um, is one of three guys with an or next to their name at Will Linebacker. So that kind of yeah. just goes to show you. Alan Tisdale was not at practice yesterday. Um, VT said he was unavailable. But it's Jaden Keller, uh, Jaden McDonald. McDonald, so two Jadens, and Alan Tisdale with Orr's next to their name at Will Linebacker. Probably said he's got a plan for that. I would expect that Keller plays most of those reps, but um, but obviously how that position plays out is going to be really interesting. And we've seen McDonald the last couple of weeks working at Will and Mike. Yeah. Um, I just kind That's of, that kind of cross-training thing. Ex- yeah, about. and I sort of suspect that one of those guys, either Keller or McDonald, will end up being Virginia Tech starting Mike next season. Yeah. Uh, I think, but the, I think they see right now that will position is an easier way to try to get both of them on the field and some good quality experience before one of them takes over the mic spot next year. But I'm, yeah, I'm impressed with uh, both McDonald's so far. Uh, I do remember when when Tech signed them, and I first started following them on social media. And I guess it was uh, late 2020 where you still couldn't go to the gym and things like that. And uh, these dudes had their own gym set up outdoors in Salem like they're out there lifting weights outdoors in the snow so I always thought the work work ethic was there for those guys and they've both come in and put on about 20 to 25 pounds of good weight and uh so I I think they're probably a little bit ahead of schedule too insofar as how people viewed them when they were being recruited we obviously wide receiver wise we heard about Caleb Smith all offseason Lofton as well are you surprised to see Stephen Gosnell above someone maybe like Christian Moss who was praised all of fall camp Gosnell's a little older, I think. Uh, I think Moss was a guy who was raw when he came in. I believe mine said he didn't start playing football until a little later, right? Yeah. He was a basketball player. So he's one of those guys who maybe didn't start playing football till maybe he was a junior in high school or something like that. So there's there's still you know quite a bit of learning he has to do. I think the raw talent is there. So I, w- I was actually more uh, more surprised. I'm not surprised Gosnell's in there because he's in his third year of college, and I just think he's a reliable guy. Um, I, I am surprised that, that Moss and Jalen Jones weren't on the two deep. Like, uh, say it again, David. Cacavesis? Cacavesis. That's just the way I'm okay. going to go with okay. it. Cacavitis, maybe. Cacavitis? We'll figure okay. it out sooner than okay. later. Uh, hopefully the Greek god of touchdowns soon, right? Um, Cac- okay, Let, let's read the pronunciation guy. Good, good, good idea. Cacavitis. Vitsis. Kakavitsis. Kakavitsis. Okay. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that Christian Moss and Jalen Jones were left off of the two deep in favor of, say it again, Kakavitsis. Kakavitsis. Yes. Yeah. And when you look at a guy like Christian Moss, that's what that's exactly what Fontel Mind said about him. He said he's so talented and raw just in his ability. Most guys, most guys have been playing football for a long time. He picked it up late. He was a basketball guy. Um, and between him and, and Jay, a guy like Jalen Jones, I think that was kind of one of the other things where it's kind of just like may, maybe that kind of just goes to show you that that they are not as far along as some coaches hope. But mm-hmm. when you look at at the two deep. Uh, besides Dewan Lofton, everybody is a a junior or older, like in that two deep at wide receivers. So, yeah. So that so I'm not I'm not surprised at all that that Gosnell's in there because he's he's played some snaps before and um you know 
I haven't, I don't know how much he's improved here yet because he arrived, you know, in January, but he does have some snaps under his belt. I know for me, the first thing I looked at was running back, given Malachi Thomas's injury. I think we knew that he wasn't going to play this game. We had also heard a little injury buzz with Jalen Holston, but is it the assumption that he is going to play? Yeah, I think so. Um, probably always said it was a minor deal and actually called it a blessing in disguise because they could get more guys work at the running back position. Uh, you know, for, for me, I'm always worried if a player's not at practice, right? And he was not at practice there for a couple of days. Yeah, Holston right? missed a couple, a couple practices, yeah, yeah. but he was back there yesterday, and um, I, I think it's expected that, you know, he was full go yesterday. So I also so. think to a certain extent, when you know you're going to be without Malachi Thomas and you think your other running back has an issue, you're very conservative with, with how you handle that. Like, if he's injured at all, you don't practice him because if it gets worse, then you're down two running backs, yeah. right? So uh, I expect Holson's going to be all right. I feel a lot better about being able to, you know, run the full game plan, the full inside zone game plan with Holston available. Yeah, and he's obviously an experienced guy. Brent Price said he was, you know, again, the most consistent guy in the running back room throughout fall camp. Um, Malachi Thomas yesterday, he still had his walking boot on his mm -hmm. left foot. Um, and I believe he was using a cane. Uh, see, that's oh going to take a while. So, I mean, I, you should not expect to see Malachi Thomas on the field anytime soon. Yeah, like, like even maybe West Virginia. I would, maybe, I would expect uh, maybe the first week of October. If, yeah, I, I, mean, I would. I would say we've. I would certainly not this week. Certainly wouldn't expect it against Boston College. Don't risk it against Wofford, for goodness sake. And if he can play against West Virginia, great. But you know, remember that's a short week. Yeah. Um, I would say at the earliest West Virginia is my guess. I mean, you got and and even then, like you got to remember he missed the last week of spring practice with an injury. He missed basically all of August camp with an injury. He's not going to be in football shape, so you got to slowly build up his level of fitness, and he's got to get in there and take some contact. And uh, you know, being in shape from a cardiovascular standpoint is a lot different than being in football shape because you got to get out there and used to taking contact, get right back up. Get another handoff. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something you have to build yourself up to. So I think it's going to be quite a while before we see the Malachi Thomas that we saw last season. Well, I couldn't let this segment go by without giving a little special teams love. Virginia Tech has had a lot of great kickers in the past, and with JPR moved on from the team, Will Ross, the South Carolina transfer, gets the nod with that one. Certainly hoping for the best there because we all know kicker is such an important position. Yeah, um, and Virginia Tech has a history of good kickers. Tech had, has had good kickers for a long time and as, now. And Stu Hole has too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yet and still, until you've seen uh, – you don't know anything about kickers, right? They have no recruiting ranking. They're all five You can't stars. watch their film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, my personal trainer was a, was a punter at Tech, and he told me from uh, going through all these uh, punting camps when he was being recruited in high school, he was like, yeah, if, if you go to camp, they'll rate you as a four- or five-star punter just if you go to camp. And if, if you don't, then you're not going to get rated at all. That's how it is when you're ranking kickers and punters. Um, so you never know what you're getting in terms of a, of kicker. So, uh, cross your fingers. Uh, I, I will say, um, I, I always have this, uh, whenever tech is breaking in a new kicker, I always have this dark vision of my mind of him going out there in his first game and going like one for three. And everybody's like, Oh my God, it's the end of the world. Because when we need that kicker to kick a game winning field goal yeah. later in the season, he's not going to be able to do it. Right. So, uh, 
his first time out. I hope it goes well for him and everybody can leave that game saying, all right, we're good for our, uh, you know, three points this year. Yeah, Will Ross is is the the starting place kicker. John Love is the true freshman that they, that's on scholarship right. that, that's right behind him. Um, and then the kickoff specialist is Kyle Lau, um, or Lowe, um, who uh, when we talked to Peter Moore a week or two ago, he was like, oh, yeah, man, he's got a heck of a leg. So um, obviously we'll, we'll see what can happen. It was funny. We walked into uh, open practice yesterday, and uh, they were – the drill we walked into them doing was in the indoor practice facility – um. Yeah, Ross was uh, was kicking field goals, and uh, I was just standing there watching. And then all of a sudden, they ran a trick play. And I was like, "What? Whoa!" I can't believe they let the media in there when they ran. A I trick was play. like, "Well, it wasn't." It Did you diagram it and put it on social? No, media? it clearly wasn't good enough because Stu Holt <laughs> turned, stopped, and goes, "What the heck are we doing?" Right. So I don't know, but. So, got some so we're not going to expect a trick play against Old Dominion this way. Uh, well, probably. Not. If you have used a trick play against Old Dominion, yeah, let's hope not. Yeah. So unless you guys have more on the depth chart, I think we can go ahead and move into ODU. But before we do that, like we said on the last podcast, we want to incorporate the fourth chair more. So we'll send it over to Jake. What do you got for us? Well, it's perfect that we come right after that conversation about trick plays. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Brent Pry and Ricky Ronnie and their ties together. A lot of familiarity between these two guys. Both coached at Vanderbilt from 2010 to 2013, and both followed James Franklin to Penn State. Uh, and that includes 2018 and 2019. Ronnie was the OC at Penn State. Pry was the DC. So these guys faced off every day on the practice field. Mm -hmm. A lot of familiarity there. Uh, something Katie mentioned, too, that I wanted to, to get to. Uh, just a little another tie with Ronnie and the Hokies is Ronnie was the quarterback coach in 2014 and 2015, Quarterback for Penn State was Christian Hackenberg, brother of Hokies freshman pitcher on the baseball team, uh, Drew Hackenberg. Uh, Drew Hackenberg. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and then last thing here. Uh, so these guys faced off every day. Uh, when Ronnie took the job in December of 2019 at ODU, Tyler Bowen took over as the interim offensive coordinator for mm -hmm. Penn State. So a lot of ties between these two guys could maybe see some more wrinkles than you would expect, especially on ODU side. And it goes even deeper than that. Like Tyler Bowen and the ODU offensive coordinator were on the Fordham staff together. <laughs> yeah. And uh and gosh, the guy who's they're, they're, the guy who's the special the guy who's the special teams coordinator, I think, at, at ODU, yeah. ODU was a he played for Pry at Penn right. State. Right. So, so, like, so many ODU staff members were grad assistants uh at Penn State, some of them on defense under Pry. And uh, Fontel Mines was at Old Dominion as tight ends coach last year. And Justin now, Harper. You know, Justin Harper, former Virginia Tech wide receiver, replaced Mines on the ODU <laughs> staff when Mines came to Virginia Tech. Uh, I bet if you drilled down into the support staff, you'd find yeah. even more. Dwight Galt Dwight came, was, their, was their strength and conditioning coach Dominion. at Old Dominion last year. So I, normally the first game of the season, neither team, especially if there's a lot of new personnel and coaching staff changes, you don't have a great scouting report of the other team. That's not the case in this year's <laughs> season opener. The, these two teams know each other pretty well. I, I, I would say the advantage goes to, to Virginia Tech because uh, ODU had a little bit of a hiccup when they fired their offensive coordinator on August 12th or 14th or something like that. Now, they had just hired this guy in December. And then so, so they had a coaching change in the middle of the preseason, which isn't ideal. And – Tech has new faces. I mean, I, th I think from an X's and O's standpoint, ODU will know pretty much what Tech wants to do in general. But when you've got a couple new 
starting wide receivers in there that haven't played at Tech before when you've got a new quarterback who's never played at Tech before. You've never seen those guys in the Tyler Bowen system before. So there might be some in intricacies there that are unknown. So uh, what? meanwhile, you know, Old Dominion, they bring back a lot of starters, but they were at Old Dominion last year. You know what they're going to look like. And let's face it, you know, Ricky Riney's going to have his hands all over this offense. I mean, uh, there's technically no quarterbacks coach on the Old Dominion roster right now. So I'm guessing he's de facto probably their quarterbacks coach. Jake mentioned the ties between these staffs, and I assume Brent Pry is going to be all business Friday night. Despite that, we all know what happened last time Virginia Tech played at Old Dominion. <laughs> How important is it for the Hokies and Brent Pry specifically to be able to rewrite the script and leave Norfolk 1-0? Well, if he got off to his start at Virginia uh, start of his career at Virginia Tech by losing at Old Dominion. I can't imagine, uh, like, I don't want to look at our message boards this weekend if that happens. So I think it's it's important. I mean, it's not, will it be the end of the world if Virginia Tech loses? No, but but uh, I think it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't look like a great start because everybody's been excited, right? He's said and done all the right things so far. Uh, he, he knows what the fan base needs to hear. He's made himself available to the media. Um, he's done a good job out there with the Hokie Club on the circuit and everything like that. Um, he's been on our podcast. Uh, I, I think they, they, they've, they've made a – a lot of that is just how he is naturally, but I think they've made a concerted effort for him to do the opposite of everything Justin Fuente did. Um, and so I think everybody's very happy with him so far. Man, you undo all, well, quite a bit of that if you lose your first game to Old Dominion. So I think it's very important. Yeah, I think I think it'd, it'd just be like a, a gut punch, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I, in all honesty, it's like you've, you know, there's so much hype, so much promise surrounding the program. I think this is a team that could have a pretty decent year, um, maybe good if if everybody can stay healthy and right. if if – but like this is a game where you gotta get it. You gotta get in and get out, and it's it's you gotta get in, put up some points, get a lead to where you can put in some of those guys that have never gotten college reps before, get them development time, don't get any injuries, and get out of there. And you know, I know it'll. I'm curious just to see how the, the whole thing, whole play calling kind of goes and how Pry and, and the staff manage um, manage the game because he's never been in that situation before. Now, obviously, Sean Quinn is a former head coach. Tyler Bowen uh, has offensive coordinator experience. Uh, Brad Glenn and Joe Rudolph have been coordinators before. So there are guys on the staff that kind of know what it's like, but... But I think it is very important to to get off to a a good start, just because you put yourself in a really big hole if 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 you don't win this game. Then you, got, then you got Boston College coming to town. Then you've got your home opener against Boston College, and people are going to be like, "What the heck are we supposed to expect?" How can you get excited? Big night game, sure, but you just lost to Old Dominion, right? It, so it would take a lot of luster off that game. Yeah. Um, I, I'm interested. Now, nobody's asked him this. When he first got hired, Brent Pry, remember he was asked, are you going to call defensive plays? And, and he said, yes. And then they were asked, when are you going to give that up, that responsibility up? And he said, don't know. Might be comfortable giving it up in the first game. Might be the end of the season. 
I don't know. I'll know it when I get there. Is basically what he said. Um, I don't think has anybody asked him about that since. No, I don't think so. I don't because think so. I, so I, I assume he's going to be calling that, the defense. That might plays. be a depending on depending on. But we don't know. Yeah, I, he'll. I know he'll call the defensive plays for the first game. That's right. my that's my assumption. Think. So it's not only about how his in-game coaching decisions as head coach, his, his play call. Right, well, I mean, I trust him from that standpoint, but he's got a. Uh, He's got to manage the game as a head coach and call defensive plays at the same time. Yeah. So how does he handle that? I mean, that's that's a huge load. Yeah. Um. So I, that's something to watch too. Yeah. That communication, it, it it's going to be really interesting. And of course, I, I think it every you know, if Virginia Tech goes out there and beats Old Dominion by two touchdowns in Norfolk. Every Tech fan's going to be, oh my god, you know, Brad Pride did, did what Justin Fuente couldn't do. Uh-huh. And it, <laughs> right. You know, you don't you don't want to be the you don't want to be the guy that after this guy got fired and he did the same thing. You don't want to do the exact same thing. And this is a better ODU team than the one Tech lost to. You mentioned this earlier, David. It's definitely something to note how you know Ricky Ronnie is familiar with the way that Brent Pry calls his defense, and Brent Pry familiar with the way that Ricky Ronnie calls his offense. Because the coaches know each other's systems and tendencies so well, does this mean we get a relatively vanilla game plan from both in which this game comes down to talent or are both guys going to try to fool each other a little bit? Oh, I, th- I definitely think you've got to put some uh, things in that, that kind of uh, go against your tendencies. And uh, but, but then again, like how many tricks do those guys up, have up their sleeves after coaching together for so many years? Um but you've had the whole off season to think about it, so yeah. that, that that's going to be the interesting part, I, I think. And I do think it's interesting that, yes, if you look at Virginia Tech's ten assistant coaches and Brent Pry, there are three guys who have ties to to that Old Dominion staff, and it's Brent Pry, Tyler Bowen, and Fontel Mines. Mm-hmm. But the other what eight assistants? I uh, don't think anybody really has any, right. any ties. So. I mean, maybe Joe Rudolph is is given, you know, maybe Joe Rudolph, Brad Glenn, Stu Holt, they're, you know, they're all scheming and saying, okay, here's here are things that have worked in the past. Here are things that we can do. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things is the collaboration of ideas. And, like, you've got all these guys that have never worked with each other in, like, a game situation, and they've all been higher-ups or, or had different positions at other places what does the meshing of ideas look like? I think it'll be somewhat vanilla, but I do think like there'll be some some interesting plays in there. I think that, you know, that tech will like draw up to go, okay, I think this is something Old Dominion won't expect. Because I think I think I think tech will have a better grasp of what Old Dominion's going to do than what Old Dominion will have a better grasp of what tech's going to do. Because Pry Ronnie has, like you said, Chris, his hands all over the offense. Right, and you can what, kind of expect what he's going to do. And I wouldn't have given that same answer three weeks ago because they hired a different offensive coordinator. Yes. Uh, it was the guy who was at Georgia Tech the last few years, whose offenses were terrible. But at the end, it's something slightly different than, than maybe what what Ronnie would do. But I, I, I would think that takes away some of the unknown factor from from yeah. Virginia Tech's perspective. Uh, I, I'm I'm good actually feel good about how this sets up because I agree like when both sides kind of have a very, very good idea of what the, uh, the other is going to do, then it does come down to talent and Virginia tech does have more overall talent. than yeah. At least we hope they do. If they, if we're all wrong and they don't, then we're going to have a lot of bad conversations on this set this year. 
Beginning to look at the Virginia Tech offense and the Old Dominion defense, how do you expect the offensive game plan to adjust with the absence of Malachi Thomas? Do you continue to dive deeper into that running back room, or is Grant Wells going to air it out? I would expect. I would expect. I think it kind of just you got to see how Holston's doing. I think that. Yeah. I think that's the bottom line, and I think. And I'm very curious to see, and I don't want Chris to get on a rant, but I know it's probably going to come. But in the past, in the last era, there were so many times where running backs had a short leash. Okay, we saw, you know, Keyshawn King would fumble, and boom, you're pulled mm-hmm. from the game. Okay, for some reason, Raheem Blackshear only gets two touches at Miami. Doesn't Like, things that just don't make much logical sense, right? We all saw what Raheem Blackshear did in the preseason with the Buffalo Bills. That's stuff he could have been doing last year with Virginia Tech. I'm curious to see, okay, what happens? You know you don't have Malachi Thomas, but but how, if things maybe don't go to plan, what happens? Do they keep feeding Jalen Holston and say, okay, at some point we'll break through? Or is it a, all right, fine, we're going to go to Grant Wells? I, I think it'll probably be more of a Jalen Hol- they'll They'll try to use Jalen Holston for balance, but if it doesn't work and they they can they aren't making much progress, it'll be a all right, Grant, you gotta make some plays for us. No, I will say the strength of all Dominion's defense is their secondary. Uh the guy who led them in total snaps on defense at cornerback is back. Although I don't think he was as good last year or his grades don't match up with the two cornerbacks they lost. Um their best player is a safety. Maybe their two best players in the secondary are, are safeties. Um they're, they're front, they lost their best overall defensive player. I think he's on the Tampa Bay roster now, or at least he has been in the preseason. And their front seven was very mediocre, maybe even say slightly below average last year, at least against quality competition. Now, that's the thing about ODU last year is they ran off that five-game winning streak. The best team in there was a 7-6 and six Middle Tennessee team. Every other team was a Conference USA team with a losing record, including a 1-11 and 11 team in there. So they, they – they beat up on the little sisters of the poor, basically, when they got on their running winning streak at the end of last season. So they're kind of hard to judge from that standpoint. But on the whole, I think their defensive talent on their front is very, very mediocre. Uh, and it's a bit better on the back end. So if you're Virginia Tech, you want to use Grant Wells' arm, of course, but you also want to attack their weakness, which is, I think, their, their front. They're a little bit undersized on the defensive line, as are a lot of teams at that level. Um, so I do think you want to come out and establish a running game and try to pound them. I mean, in the end, football in every era is about imposing your will physically on the other team and putting doubts in their head and making them want to quit by the fourth quarter because nobody likes to get beat up, right? Uh, so I, I do think Tech's going to come out and try to establish a physical mentality on the ground. And if they can do that all the better, then that opens up more of those deep throws. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of it's going to be about just – Virginia Tech coming out with just that mentality, which I think was lacking in a lot of those games mm-hmm. where Virginia Tech in the past played down to its opponents that it should not be playing down to. Absolutely. And, and I think if I think in under Brent Pry, I don't think Virginia Tech teams will have that problem. It's a big old gut check. You tell your offensive linemen, all your, all your offensive players, like, look, you have a chance to out here. I mean, everybody, if you're a football player, you're supposed to enjoy physically dominating another player. <laughs> another person in a football environment that that's the whole basis of the sport so and, and if you're not in it for that you shouldn't be doing it so this is an opportunity for tech's offensive players to go out there and physically dominate a group of players that that they hold a superior athletic 
and strength advantage over. And they should enjoy that. They should be looking forward to that. They should be embracing that. That's what I'll be looking for. I want to see that type of mentality on Friday night from Virginia Tech. Yeah, and I think I think two guys could play an interesting role. I think Connor Blumrick and, and, and Keyshawn King, those are two guys – Obviously, Blumrick's going to be a guy where he's kind of a matchup problem for linebackers. We know that ODU's secondary is the strength. Okay, well, what happens if you run a, at a slant across the middle with Blumrick where he's matched up against a linebacker? He's probably faster, and he's more physical. Um, same thing, getting Keyshawn King in space. I, I think the little wrinkles like that can go a long way for Virginia Tech. Yet again, Virginia Tech starts the season with a new starting quarterback. What year is this? Oh, my God. Fifth? Uh, well, technically in 2017 and 2018. Jackson. Had, yeah, yeah. With Jackson. But then Jackson got hurt. Jackson got hurt. And, and technically Ryan Willis. Old Dominion. Yeah, well, yeah. And then, and then Ryan Willis. Yeah. Well, he didn't start in the beginning of 2018. So, so yeah, gosh, I guess the I guess. last time Tech had a full-time starter for two straight years was Logan Thomas, yes. right? It was supposed to be Brewer, but he got Brewer, hurt. He it got was supposed hurt, to be yeah. Jackson, but he got hurt. Uh, we are due for some from some good luck on the injury front at the quarterback position. So uh, Grant Wells, to me, if everything goes right, is Virginia Tech starter for the next two years, hopefully three, if he uses his COVID year. Uh, and I think that ty- that kind of stability at the quarterback position. Is, is very critical. I think it could be big, but uh, if he gets hurt, now I'll feel better if he got hurt than I did last year when Burmeister w- w- was banged up for most of the year. That, that's for sure. Jason Brown. Because Jason Brown has not, a, not, McNeese State's Knox Cato. Exactly. So I uh, feel much, much better about that. But you don't want your quarterback to get hurt, especially when that quarterback has, has what I believe is a high ceiling like Grant Wells. He's still got a chance to uh, to develop. So I'm really looking I'm looking forward to seeing him play because I do think he has a skill set that not nearly enough people in the, in the national media are giving him credit for. Like, I mean, I've seen some people writing out there like Virginia Tech doesn't have a quarterback. Are you kidding me? Or are you just have you actually watched him play football? Have you actually turned on and watched any Marshall games before? He's got the talent like they're, they're, I guarantee you he's better than a lot of returning quarterbacks out there that, that, that other people are giving credit to. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, and hopefully the receivers can stay healthy for him this year because uh, that, that's, a, that's a position where I'm not worried about. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I feel good about it. Well, speaking of Grant Wells at Marshall, he actually played against this ODU defense last year. How much of, a, of an advantage is that, Chris? I know you mentioned in the preview that ODU lost three out of their four highest-graded defensive players anyways. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, probably – I think he's his receivers, at least as far as his starting receivers, he'll have a bit of an upgrade at Virginia Tech from what he had against Marshall, and he's a year more experienced. And I, I, I don't think the Marshall fans – and now this, this is pretty much every fan base. The Marshall fans didn't like their offensive coordinator. Oh, imagine that. And guess what? I, f- I found an online uh, petition yesterday from where Penn State wanted Ricky Ronnie fired when he was their offensive coordinator. Everybody right. hates their offensive coordinator. I'm sure three weeks from now we'll hate Tyler Bowen, right? I, I hope not, but somebody will. I guarantee you somebody, some Virginia Tech fan is going to be. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if they run a jet sweep with Cole Beck, there's going to be some, there going to be people out here screaming the at the clouds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't forget what we were talking about. Uh, just, uh, Wells Gers, against Wells. Old Dominion. Yeah, well, year. Wells against Old Dominion. Um, I think Wells, you know, he's a year older. I think he's better coached than he was a year ago, and I think he'll have more 
more players around him to throw the ball to than he had at Marshall. So uh, I think he threw for 299 299 yards, completed about 65% of his passes and two touchdowns, but he also had two picks. So that's, that's honestly, that's a slightly different topic, but that's the main thing with Wells is how, how much does he cut down on his interceptions this year? If he, if he doesn't, then, you know, the talent's there, but, but you, you know, you need to limit your turnovers as a quarterback. But at the same time, uh, I think some of that will come naturally as he, as he gets older and more experienced and, think he's going to be better coach now yeah I, I think it, it's probably a little bit of an advantage you know he's familiar probably familiar with you know maybe not the secondary but at least the front seven and kind of knows what to expect a little bit tech's probably going to do some things different than Marshall did so they might not be attacking the exact same way I think a lot of weapons probably for him are up, upgrades he probably has a little bit more protection than he did um but I think in general, it'll probably help his his confidence, especially to, just to ease into the first game at Virginia Tech as as a starting quarterback. He's he, used to this level of competition. Yeah, sure. he, yeah, yeah. He he's. It's not like he's. We're not opening against Clemson here. Yeah, it, I mean, imagine if it a couple of years ago, or Virginia Tech's opening up against Boston College. You know, that's kind of a different level where yes, it's a completely different stage. Coaches are not as familiar with each other, but this, you know, Wells is probably the most important player right now. I would I would have said Malachi Thomas, but Wells is probably the most important player that's going to play on Virginia Tech's offense on Friday, and it, I th- I would assume he's going to be much more comfortable knowing okay I've played against these guys before, and and I think he talked about a couple weeks ago when he earned the starting job about how a lot of the stages steps he's taken in his development this summer and this fall have been sitting down with Brad Glenn and just talking about not forcing things. And I, Chris mentioned the two picks he threw last year. He had a good game outside of the two picks. I I think you'll see a much more relaxed. He kind of knows what to expect. um, Doesn't necessarily have to force things. And I think that's good. Yeah. And the other thing to think about is I I think some players, they reach a point where they can't improve anymore unless they upgrade their competition level. And uh, I bet he's a better player, has become a better player since the spring just against from practicing against yeah. a higher, higher caliber of competition every day. You know, it's a big difference when you're throwing against uh, Dorian Strong than against a, your average Conference USA cornerback. Uh, and so I, I bet just the increased level of competition in practice has made him more prepared and a better player than, than he was a year ago at this time. Well, I think that wraps up the Virginia Tech offense and ODU defense discussion. Before we break, let's check back in with Jake in the fourth chair. Well, you guys know I love to do trivia when I can, and I couldn't do my debut in the fourth chair without a little bit of trivia. I hate to go back to the 2018 game again, but we're going to here. I went through and I looked. There were six players who played in that 2018 game who are still on the roster right now. Ooh. Can you guys name all six? Uh, yeah, Holst- Silas Janzi was the only starter. Correct. Right. I Hol- was going to ask Holston you that Holston would have played Holst- in that game. Yes. Jamari Connor. Garbit, Jamari yep. Connor. Dax. Armani Chapman. And Ar- you got not Armani Chapman. You got one he played one. in a couple games late in There's season, one more. Yeah, it's right. funny because I, I was literally talking about this yesterday uh, in the press conference room with uh, Andy Bitter and Mike Nizzi. Like, There's one... Uh, there's one other guy, um, special teams player or something maybe. I, he probably only played on special, oh, teams, special in teams in that game. game. Um, I'm trying to go through and think. Jalen uh, Griffin. No. What? Who? I give up. Keyshawn Artis. 
Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So okay. those are your. Six. He was a true freshman. Right. Right. Yeah. So Dax Holston, Chamari Connor, Keyshawn Artis, Taiwan Garbett, Silas Janzi was Janzy the only was, starter. Janzi started for Christian Darrisaw, who was, was hurt. Who was hurt. That and Janzi played a really good game that day. Of course, the offense in general played a good game that day. They just yeah. yeah. So may, maybe score some, fifty. Unfortunately, maybe some of those guys can teach some lessons to the rest of the team on how to to go win an ODU uh, and maybe. Avenge that loss back in 2018. Yeah. As much as they probably don't want to rehash it, there's probably still some negative feelings from that evening. So maybe they'll talk to the team and some, inspire them to go out and play with confidence. Some lessons to be learned for sure. Yeah. When how many of those guys? There are six guys. How many of those guys are captains? Janzi and Dax. Janzi and Dax. Um, Jamar, and Jamari, and Jamari Connors Jamar. carrying the lunch pail. Yeah. So, and the other three yeah. were who? Artis Holston and. Garbit. You Gar- could probably Garbit? get all three guys, guys together and, and write a book over everything they've experienced in their college careers. <laughs> Coaching changes, COVID. Turkey bacon. Turkey bacon, no. player revolts, <laughs> whatever the heck happened post-game in ODU in the locker room. I mean, I bet those guys have so many stories to tell. Yeah, but my point, they're, they're what, three captains? I don't. Colson's not a captain, I don't think. Um, no. but 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 I mean him and Garbett are, are the leaders on this offense yeah. too. So they're going to be five five of six five of those six guys are going to start. And Keyshawn Artist, you would expect he'll play yeah. some. So yeah, that, that that's pretty interesting. Good trivia, Jake. Yeah, that was a fun one. Thank you, Jake. That's going to lead us into our break here on episode two hundred and fifty one of the Tech Sideline pod- Podcast, brought to you by First Bank and Trust. We'll be right back. We welcome you back into episode 251 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by First Bank and Trust. As a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, continue to drop any questions you have for David and Chris in the chat, and we'll get to those with Jake at the end of the show. Save this one for the end because I think it'll be a fun one to talk about. Let's break down the ODU offense and the Virginia Tech defense. Mentioned it earlier, but big news out of ODU is that they're without their offensive coordinator who resigned just three weeks ago. And with Brent Pry calling the defense, you got to feel pretty good about that side of the ball in general. I do, and, and Tech has such an experienced defense. I mean, technically speaking, their four starters on the defensive line this week are all seniors. Mm-hmm. You're going to play some younger guys in there too as well. Uh, you, you've got a veteran in Dax in, in the middle. You've got a bunch of guys with a ton of snaps under their belts in the secondary. And in some cases, you've got backups who have played a lot of snaps too. So, uh, you know, you wish maybe that you were a little more dominant at certain positions. Like I wish Tech had like a real defensive end with a ton of sacks in his career, Um, like a real playmaking type. But I I feel like, you know, ODU, ODU returned basically their whole offense and they've got a couple, you know, very good players on offense in my opinion. But, uh, Tech is going to more than match them from an experience standpoint. And I, I think that's one of the reasons the transition, I think, has gone well is because Tech has a lot of upperclassmen in leadership positions. And uh, I think that's why the early Justin Fuente transition went well early is because he took over such yeah, an experienced like team. And he, Sam Rogers oh, yeah, and, and the Edmonds brothers. He kept uh, – in fact, I mean, he said it for like two years. He'd always bring it up. He'd be like, oh, we have so many great seniors on that – on those two teams, and, and they made the transition uh, smooth. And, and I think you can say the same thing right now is you've got your Daxes and your Chamari Connors and, and your Silas Chanzies and people like that. I think the transition has been smooth. And defensively specifically, I think that may, makes learning a, a new scheme a little easier because you've got guys who have 
who've been through it. I mean, these guys already played in two different schemes and in, in, in their careers. What's one more, right? Um, uh, so I think just that maturity level makes it easier. And and I, I don't think Tech will have a dominant defense this year. I think there are certain matchups that, that will give them issues. But I, I think if we see improved safety play this year due to improved due to better coaching, then uh, I think this defense will be pretty good. Yeah, I think it'll come down to – well, first of all, this ODU offense is pretty balanced. I mean, they had mm-hmm. a th- guy that ran for over 1,000 yards last year, um, but they also have some some receiving weapons. Um, I think in general, this ODU offense, it's not going to – it's not going to pose a, like a ton of problems Virginia Tech – has never faced before or anything, but it is going to be a pretty balanced attack. But again, like Chris said, I think this tech defense is, is going to be prepared for it. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of guys who have been in this situation before they've played in season openers. They've prepared for multiple weeks for a game, a week one opponent, um, you know, and it helps when you're not, when you don't have to play a conference opponent and you have all this additional info because it's an ODU team that, that uh, most of your staff knows about. Um, I'm interested to to kind of see how when when ODU, you know how how Tech's personnel changes depending on what they expect ODU to do. Um, especially like Nickelback is kind of the big thing. Um, and if you want to explain that the way the Penn State did it, I know it's a little <laughs> yeah, it's a little um, complicated. You, but, you, but I do think it'll provide some insight. You know, normally at Penn State, you'd bring in a Nickelback whenever. Brent Pry felt like it was necessary, and instead of taking the the Sam linebacker off, they would take the Mike off and move the Sam inside to to the Mike spot. Now that what that would look like in Virginia Tech's current defense would be Dax Holyfield coming off the field, Keonta Jenkins sliding inside to middle linebacker on third and eleven or third and nine or whatever. And I just even even on third and long, I'm just I'm, I'm I like Keonta Jenkins as a Sam very very much. Just doesn't seem like that would really work with him playing Mike, even on long yardage situations, yeah. because statistically speaking, and we've run these numbers before, um, there's a slightly higher chance of picking up a first down on third and long by run than by pass. I mean, I, pe- people are always saying, God, it's third and 11. Why'd they run a draw? Well, statistically speaking, it has a better chance yeah. of picking up a first down. I mean, that is a factual statement. But, uh, but it I, doesn't make any sense. So you're going to have to deal with draws as a Mike linebacker on third and line, so, nine. So, uh, you know, maybe you could see a guy like uh, Tisdale come into the game at Mike. Uh, uh, a guy with a little more coverage ability, but still still, uh, still a, a true linebacker. And uh, d- during packages like that, in the spring game they kept it very vanilla. When they went with their nickel package, they just took out Keonta Jenkins and te- kept it, their two inside linebackers yeah. in the game. So that's one of the things I don't know what's going to look like yeah. until and, you get there. And that's why I'm very interested to kind of see that. Obviously, Sam linebacker is a new position here. No Kelly Lawson, so it'll be all Keonta Jenkins for the most part. Um, but again, this is a very experienced Virginia Tech team. You go you know, defensively, especially you go across the board and everybody, at least all the starters have a ton of reps under their belt. They've got a lot of starts even. So I think, I think tech will match up against ODU pretty well. And tech's got the experience and, um, you know, ODU can run and can pass. And, um, I think the bit, the big, uh, 
playmaker for them. The X factor could be Zach Koontz as he's their their tight end. And a Penn State transfer. Penn State correct? transfer. No, imagine that. I know. <laughs> who who Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen and Ricky Ronnie all recruited to Penn State together. Right. <laughs> so as if Brent Pry didn't already know enough about their offensive scheme, then he gets to prepare for that guy. Yeah. So I, I think it'll be be interesting to see Okay, Keonta Jenkins going up against Zach Kuntz. Mm -hmm. Kuntz definitely has a size advantage. Even Jaden Keller, too, in that matchup. Yeah, uh, how how this new tech defense looks. I'm more interested to kind of see how that looks than and what they do when they adjust for certain things that they're expecting ODU to do. Um, But I don't think... You know, like Tech's defense in 2018, man, just kind of fell apart in, in that game and just got completely exposed. And I think a lot of that will come down to the way Chamari Connor and Nasir Peoples play in the back end. You know, that 2018 defense, I mean, not to be – I'm just trying to – not trying to be a jerk, but there were players playing on that team that had no business playing football at this level. I mean, Tech played a defensive tackle in that game that eventually transferred to William & Mary where he was a backup for William & Mary. That team had a bunch of freshmen, and a lot of them, and a lot of the players they had to put out there shouldn't have been playing football at this level. And I don't get the sense from this defense. It's certainly not Tech's most talented defense ever, but like I look at the guys who I anticipate being on the field for the Hokies on Friday night, and I don't look at them and say, oh, you should be playing backup for William and Mary, right? I right. Mean, yeah. I mean, I just think Tech is a much more talented defense right now than they were in 2018. Um, Kuntz is, is 6'8", 251 pounds. He's like power forward size, right? But uh, he's got great hands. He's a really good football player. They'll line him up. They'll even split him out wide. And He had more snaps in the slot than any other position last year. So he's like a modern tight end as far as where you line him up. He's also like has offensive guard speed. Like he is slow. And uh, so I think Tech's athleticism on the outside will give him some issues how how to i would play him straight up to begin with uh, there were some teams tried to bracket him last year i would as much as possible use a linebacker and, and try to beat him athletically um now if he's able to beat your linebacker then you know you would just af- after that but uh their guy who concerns me is on the outside the west virginia transfer yeah. ollie jennings he's the main one that concerns me yeah. a richmond guy yeah yeah highland, highland springs, springs. Can I can I read off the the eleven starters on defense for Virginia Tech in that twenty eighteen game? You may. Oh yes. Uh, it it's all jumbled up. Okay, I'm just, I'll, I'll make I'm a just comment. Gonna, I'm just going to go down the list. Okay. Caleb Farley. Yeah, great player. Wasn't ready yet in twenty eighteen. Uh, this was two games after he had two picks in that Florida State game right in the season. Right. Bryce Watts. Uh, transferred to UNC where he couldn't even play for a horrible UNC defense. And then he transferred to UMass, I want to say. I probably, that right? yeah, that's that seems about like his t- talent. Uh, he started every game for Devin team. Hunter. Oh, uh. <laughs> Ricky Walker. Ricky Walker, who uh, was injured, remember? Yeah. Uh, he got hurt against Florida State. They tried to play him the next week against William Mary, and after eight snaps, he's on crutches. Yeah. That's one of my biggest gripes. I don't want to go on that yeah. rant again. I know uh, you're going to say Trayvon Hill. Well, I was going to – he's <laughs> down, he's down the list because it's, it's numerical order. Gotcha. Uh, Khalil Adler. Uh-huh. Oh, who, 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 ended up, who ended up playing – Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech after – He had transfer. good flashes, though. He had yeah. good flashes. Howshon Gaines. Howshon Gaines, who gave up football. Yeah. Um, Reggie Floyd. Mm-hmm. Rayshard Ashby. Mm-hmm. Dylan Rivers. Oh, my gosh. Started, yeah. who, who also gave up football. Had uh, to because of injury. Yeah. Yeah. Gerard Hewitt mm-hmm. and Trayvon Hill. Right. 
So that that was Tech's. That was Tech's starting line. Starting so there, there's a, there, 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 there were some good players in there. Not all of them were ready in 2018. Yeah. And a lot of the depth that they had to play that year was just not ideal. Diablo missed that game due to injury, and they had to start Devin Hunter. Big, big drop-off. Yeah. That year, this was like the fourth game of the year, though. It was, it was a third game. It was, a third. It was supposed to be the fourth. Okay. The ECU game got canceled because of oh, the hurricane. Oh, this yes. was that year. I remember tailgating outside Lane Stadium. We were supposed to be playing uh, ECU. We just had a tailgate anyway. Whit Babcock came by. It was pretty fun. <laughs> now, continuing to look at ODU's roster, they're led by Hayden Wolf at quarterback. He's a big guy, 6'5", 235, uh-huh. I think that's correct. But lucky for Tech fans, he's kind of the opposite of a dual threat. And given <laughs> Fry's aggressive play calling on defense, that'll surely be something to watch for how they scheme up for him. Yeah, he's uh, not a running quarterback, to say the least. Now, now, that I, now that I've said that, everybody go knock on wood. Uh-huh. And yeah, watch him. I have... told Chris that in the office yesterday. I said, you wrote that he does not run. And yes, he doesn't. He has like negative like 190 career yards. Yet he beat out two pretty good quarterbacks behind him. Yeah, so. but, no, but he, uh, he does. Two quarterbacks who have, I don't know. I don't think Brent, Brent Clark originally signed with Notre Dame, but he didn't last long. Uh, the other one, DJ Mack, started some at, at UCF, but just hasn't. He, he, both those guys are more mobile. But apparently they're just not very good in the passing game. I, and I don't expect Wolf to be any faster this year because apparently he gained 20 pounds in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, he his, does have a pretty good arm, though. His, his career best rushing performance, uh, seven carries for one yard. That's the only time in his career he's had positive yardage rushing, and that was against Texas San Antonio. Uh, I, I think Virginia Tech can – I think they can pretty much expect him to be in the pocket at all times. So which means you've got to get pressure. So there there are certain landmarks as as a as a defensive lineman or a blitzing linebacker that you go for. And unless the quarterback is mobile, you expect him to be on the spots. Well, you can really expect that quarterback to be right where you expect him to be, which makes it easier to rush and I don't think Pry's going to hold back. I think uh <laughs> I mean I I would I would blitz him a lot and if they can pick it up, you tip your cap and adjust and play more zone and 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 play play it a little more conservatively. But I, I want you you want to get those guys in long yardage situation. I, uh, their their balance is is impressive because they have a good running back. Um, so I, I would think that they'll come out and try to establish a running game early, j- just like Virginia Tech. But uh, ideal, and this is for any game, of course. But w- when you've got a quarterback that can't run, you get them in long yardage situations, and and I think you put yourself in. Uh, you give yourself a you good tr- chance. You to trust succeed. your DBs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and that's the thing. I think, I think Tech's corners, Dorian Strong and Armani Chapman, those those are two solid veteran, experienced guys. They'll be fine. I think as long as the safety play holds up, I, I think Tech's D, DBs will be really hard to beat slash break down. Um, but you can't give you know the quarterback time, and I, I think when he's just going to sit in the pocket all day, that becomes even more of a thing because you know exactly where he's going to be. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the run game is probably the highlight of this offense. Is there anything else that sticks out about this offense that might be able to give Virginia Tech trouble? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I mean, I feel uh, like it's a very, I mean, very basic. I mean, I, I think it's just the guys we've gone over so far. Uh, you know, their other receivers don't scare me. Their, their, their tight end is good. Obviously, we've talked about him. Ali Jennings is good. We've talked about him. But I don't think any of their, any of their other receivers caught more than 15 or 20 passes last year. So they, they lack depth in a major way 
as far as their other skill position players go. Like if you if you can't get the ball to those those two guys, then then you're kind of out of luck if, if if you're old Dominion. So I think they have a they have some good players, but not very many of them is yeah. how I would describe their offense. Yeah, Blake Watson is is the running is the back, running back, and he's good. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, he he's good. I think I don't think it's anything super crazy. It's not like you know, it's not like they have any, like they've got some guys that earned conference when they were in the conference USA last year that earned conference USA honors, you know? Um, but it's nothing, nothing crazy. Like obviously Virginia tech plays Boston college next week. And like locking down Zay flowers is going to be a huge key, but Zay flowers is a all ACC receiver. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's any, anybody that like jumps off the page like oh my god this guy's gonna be really good i think but i think it is a it's a very balanced team i think uh i don't think this game this week is rocket science no. I, th- I think you go you go out there and you impose your will against a team that is less physically talented than you and then the week after that it becomes more about x's and o's and strategy and, and things like that but th- this week I, if virginia tech goes up out there with the right mentality and doesn't turn it over they'll win the game Definitely can't wait to be discussing that Boston College game this time next week. That'll wrap up the ODU offense and Virginia Tech defense discussion. Before we kind of do our final segments, let's check back in with Jake. So I've got, uh, we're going to go away from ODU a little bit here and do a Hokies and the pros update. Uh, You mentioned uh, some of the guys in the preseason who have had some good, good years so far. The final or the initial 53 man rosters had to be set for all 32 teams yesterday. 20 former Virginia Tech players made NFL rosters. I'm not going to have you guys guess all 20 of them. Uh, (laughs) Although I think we could. You guys might be able to, but I'll I'll go through some highlights here. Obviously, you have some of the older names. Dwayne Brown, now with the Jets, he made a roster. Tyrod Taylor's now with the Giants. Fuller Brothers, Edmonds Brothers. Uh, But from last year's team, only three Virginia Tech rookies made NFL rosters to start the season. Amari Barno stuck with the Carolina Panthers. Lucita Smith stuck with the Arizona Cardinals. And James James Mitchell. Mitchell. Mm -hmm. James Mitchell made a 53-man roster. Uh, And then one last thing, the NFL Top 100 came out. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, top 100 players in the NFL. Only one Virginia Tech player, I will have you guess, who is the one Virginia Tech player? Is this, is this like, is the NFL top 100 like a like a top 100 players currently in the league? Uh, or yeah. is that like Chuck yes, Clark. currently in the league. So, and this was voted on by players, not Chuck, Chuck Clark. What? Go Clark? Ravens. Nope. Oh. Tremaine Edmonds. No. No, it is. It is. Yeah, Will's over here mouthing Wyatt oh. Teller. It is Wyatt Teller. It is Wyatt yeah. Teller. Oh, oh, God. Wyatt, Wyatt Teller is the only hope on. on the NFL. Come on. we got to show some offensive line love. That's why we forget. So yeah. I'll, I'll make sure we do some more uh, Hokies in the pros updates throughout the season. But there you go. We have 20 Hokies starting the season on NFL rosters. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think you would expect Raheem Blackshear to probably sign yeah, to and someone's the, practice. And there were, absolutely. I, mean, I, say, I mean, he had a really good preseason. He can help you in so many ways. He, he ran the ball well. He caught it well. He returned kicks. I don't know anything about the Bills roster, but, like, he can help somebody in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's clear. Yeah, I think – I mean, and Jake didn't go in, into this, but there were, and it's kind of more of a negative thing, but there were a couple of guys that, that got cut as well. Yes. Brock Hoffman was one of those guys who graded off, graded right. out really, really well with the Browns at center. So, but, but again, you know, they haven't signed their practice squads yet. Yeah, so, That's and, coming up in the next, I think basically what happens, you release those guys and 
It's kind of like the waiver wire in Major League Baseball. Every, yeah. Everybody else has a couple days to sign them to their active roster if they want to. And if they don't, then you can sign them to your practice. Yeah. So today we'll find out if anybody cleared waivers. So maybe Raheem Blackshear, or Brock Hoffman get claimed, and then we have 22 Hokies right. on, on a starting yeah. active roster. But I'm sure a ton of those guys will be on practice squads. Right. It's very, very interesting. And there are so many talented guys out there that I'm sure a lot of them will end up on, on actual rosters. The Bills are cutthroat. Even Luke Tenuta, who was a draft pick, yeah, he got. Cut. You're not guaranteed to make it as a yeah. as a late round draft pick. It goes to show how hard it is to make the 53 yeah. man roster. Those rosters are not big. I mean, if you think about it, like it's 53 active, but I think you can only dress 45, 48, 48 for yeah. games now. I mean, that that's insane. If you think about how big a college roster is. Like you see these college teams dressing 75 guys 85 and 85 from scholarship, and an NFL. Man. Like an NFL team, you might only dress like seven offensive linemen for yep. a game. Imagine that. And we talk about, uh, we only have, we offensive don't have good depth, depth on offensive line depth. <laughs> like watch an NFL game. Like they only dress like seven offensive linemen for games. All right. Let's circle back to ODU as we near the end. I want to get you all's final thoughts. What are the keys to the game and what do the Hokies need to do to leave Norfolk 1 0? Hmm. Uh, Take it, Dave. Uh, yeah. I would say. I would say honestly, just kind of come out and pose your will. Like I, I think, I think again, mentality-wise, like that was. We saw it so many times, whether against Rhode Island, Richmond, Liberty, Delaware, Furman, didn't matter who the the opponent that Tech was playing down to was. We just saw that too many times, and I don't think that'll be an issue under Brent Pry. He kind of knows the stakes, and and he and his staff. They want to see competitiveness, and they're very they motivate their guys well. From from what it sounds like, and I think if if they come out and literally just punch ODU in the gut right away, I I honestly think like that goes a long way in a game where you have this much of a talent advantage. I, I think the other thing is, um, I, I'm very interested to see how Grant Wells, you know, does in his first start, but. Um, but I do think the Hokies are going to have the talent advantage. I think the biggest thing is just don't make stupid mistakes. And this is a game where you have more talent and you know exactly what to expect besides a couple of wrinkles that you, you know, obviously they're going to throw in late. Um, just don't make silly mistakes. And I think this is a game that Virginia Tech wins. Yeah, physicality and mistakes, I believe, is what this game is about. Uh, impose your will. ODU is going to be excited. It's their opener, their home opener. They've got the big in-state school coming in. Uh, they're going to be fired up. But that's a situation where, you know, if you let ODU get off to a, to a good start, can mushroom on you. But if you go in there and you punch them right in the mouth, and it, it really questions their whole belief system, really. Like, like you go through the whole preseason excited about the Virginia Tech game because you beat them at home last time. And you probably look at all these preseason rankings and you don't think Virginia Tech's in any good. And, and so you think you've got a chance to win the game. Well, if you smack them in the mouth on the first drive and go down and score a touchdown and they realize that you're a physically better team than them, that makes them question everything. And that hurts their confidence level. If, and, if you're a Virginia Tech captain, do you want you want the ball to start the game? Mm, that's a good question. Because uh, I'm just thinking, like, I, if, I, if you can get up by two scores early, yeah. like if, you, if Virginia Tech can go down the field and score on the first drive, which obviously will already be like schemed up and everything beforehand. You know, if you if you can go out there and get it and score and then get a stop on that first drive, and it's your second drive and you're already up a touchdown, that's I, a chance to kind of not put them away, but, but basically say, Hey, look, you know, 
we're going to keep our distance. Yeah. Um, I, I think at the same time, you got so many experienced defenders that maybe you want to let them set the tone. I don't know. Most coaches defer. They always defer I, I mean, their I, option. I would always defer. Yeah. Um, right. So I, I don't know. Uh, generally speaking, when you see a coach make an emotional decision on the on the coin toss, it, that coach ends up getting fired. Like Al Gro. <laughs> Al Gro once time chose one time chose to kick in the 2002 Virginia Tech UVA game because the wind was blowing so bad. He wanted the wind advantage for the second quarter and the fourth quarter, so he chose to kick off. And since Virginia Tech uh, got the ball first to start both halves. Right, and so coaches who, who make decisions like that don't overthink kickoff, the, the opening yeah. coin toss. No, right, I, don't out coach yourself before the game. No, even I was starts. just more so. But I, know I was just more so asking. Yeah, I like would if, love you, it if, if you're if you're if, Brent Pry and you're that offense, and if you have that option to to take the ball and just go go with it to start the first half, basically I mean, to make that statement. Because imagine if Virginia Tech gets the ball, goes down and yeah, eight plays, three, four, five minutes, and, sure. and scores a touchdown. Then Virginia Tech is is leading, and you get to play ahead the the rest of the right. game. Right. Well, you know, like I said, this one's isn't rocket science. Just yeah, match them or exceed them in intensity level, and as long as you don't turn the ball over and give them short fields, you'll probably uh, win the game. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think it's a game Tech should win, but there's enough question marks to kind of give you that little nervous feeling in the pit of your stomach too. Mm-hmm. As we transition into game picks, it looks like the whole TSL crew thinks Virginia Tech starts the season 1-0. I know last year I think everyone picked North Carolina in that first game, and we know how that one turned out. So hopefully we start the season on a better note. Everyone starts their picks um, 1-0. Will, I know, as Virginia Tech 27-20. Chris, you're 31-17. Mm-hmm. David, 34-20. And then I'll call 31-13. Me and Chris have very similar picks. Go. Um, let's go ahead and take a couple questions from the YouTube chat. Jake, anything good? Well, let's start with stat time with Scott Glessner. Uh, I don't As always. Have, I don't have Nick Brown's fancy graphics over here right now. <laughs> uh, but So his first one, since 1987, Virginia Tech has opened the season on the road seven times, four and three in those games, but have won four of the last five. Uh, the first drives for VT in those seven games, five punts, a missed field goal, and one touchdown. So you guys talking about the opening coin toss. Uh, starting the season on the road, it hasn't worked out too well for the Hokies uh, well, in that well, first drive. Yeah, of the game. So they lost to Boston College. And I'm trying to think where else they opened on the road. I know they opened on the road against what Rutgers in '97 and beat them by like 40 or 50. Well, Probably scored a touchdown on their Florida first State run. in 2018 That's too. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, also from Scott, uh, VT has never won the turnover battle against ODU, uh, even in 2017 minus one in 2018, and in that 2019 win minus two. So those are your stats from Scott Glesner. We got a few questions too, uh, from Parker. Uh, what's the status of Jalen Jones? We were talking about how he wasn't on the too deep, uh, but no injury news either with him. No injury news, but I want to say there were some rumors early in the season about how he wasn't at practice right at the beginning of August camp. Yeah, it wasn't anything so, official. It was right, kind of right. Rumors. No, nobody ever said anything about it, so I, I'm not sure. And he was at uh, practice yesterday. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, I mean I, he's I, out there now. He's, he's been um, at practice, but I don't know. It's he was a guy who was very prolific in high school. Uh, I thought he was a good prospect. He played as a true freshman last year, probably before he was a little bit before he was ready um, because he sh- Tech didn't have the luxury of redshirting him because they didn't have enough wide receivers on the team last year, basically, uh, so they, they had to play him. I think he ended up catching one pass, and that was against Miami. So even with that, you're like, I wish they had redshirted him just – with for one catch, you might as well just throw a walk on out there and preserve Jalen Jones' red shirt, right? So, uh, 
I, I, th- I think the abilities there, uh, he just hasn't come along as, as, as much as I had hoped. Now, that said, like if he, if he had redshirt freshman next to his name instead of true sophomore, I think people would be saying, oh, he's a young player. You know, he's got a lot of time to develop. Yeah, because he's like kind that. of in the same boat as Dewan Lofton. Right, right, right. right. No, but at the same time, I, I feel like he shouldn't. If he had made as much progress as he could have made, I feel like he w- he wouldn't lose a spot in the two deep to a walk on. Is how I feel. So uh, I think there's certainly still time for him. I don't know whatever his situation was this year. If he wasn't at camp when it first opened, yeah. and if that set him back, uh, I, I do think he can help Virginia Tech for sure. But there's something holding him back right now, and I just don't know what that is. I think that's all the questions we've got today. All right, well, before we get out of here, game previews posted on Mm techsideline.com as of yesterday. Make sure to check that out. Chris, anything else that fans should know about coming up? Yeah, I posted a Brandon Patterson article early uh, early this morning, which is a video preview, basically, a video scouting report of Old Dominion. Got an Eric Carr article coming later today, too, and it's very good. Eric used to... uh, he was one of Bud Foster's right-hand men back in the day. He would uh, he would hold up. He'd be the, one of the guys on the sideline as, as as a grad grad assistant or what or student assistant, holding up the personnel signs on the sideline of the other teams and twelve personnel things like that. So he's a guy with a lot of experience within Virginia Tech's football program with Bud Foster, and he's been a good writer for us. And he's he wrote a call. I got him to write a column for us, and he sent it late last night about his thoughts on the season and the program and this current team and. Uh, I'll post that this afternoon before I get out of town. Yeah, besides that, um, we got some more media availability today. Um, Brent Pry is going to speak again, um, which I'm surprised about. Ha- not complaining. How much can you more do you have to say yeah, at this point? Pry spoke to the media yesterday. He'll, uh, today's Wednesday. Um, we're going to speak with some Sean Quinn, I think, linebackers coach Sean Quinn, and some players. And then after practice, Brian Pry and Jalen Holster are speaking. So if there's anything from anything interesting from practice, I'll have a story about it. But besides that, you know, in less than two days, it's going to be game day in Norfolk, which is kind of interesting. But and I'm, you know, I've kind of feel like Chris. I'm not really sure what to expect. I think Tech should win, but you know, you never know. When, especially when these two coaching staffs know each other so well. Well, let's hope that we get in and win and get out with no injuries. (laughs) Another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. want to thank everybody on set. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist of TechSideline.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Coleman, TSL. David Cunningham, managing editor of TechSideline.com. He's at TheRealDCunna on Twitter. Jake Lyman, in his fourth chair debut, did a great job. That was a fun little flip-flop today. He's at LymanJake on Twitter. Will Stewart producing behind the scenes. He'll be back on set on Monday, I believe, when we break it all down. Hokies kick off the season this Friday night, 7 p.m. at SP Ballard Stadium against Old Dominion. Game will be broadcasted on ESPNU, and we'll be back Monday to break it all down. I'm Katie Adams signing off from all of us at Tech Sideline. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and enjoy your Labor Day weekend.